Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Wednesday, January the 24th. And welcome to our commentary. We're going to get into New Hampshire, and I have a post about Guantanamo that I want to talk about uh, as well. But I just want to begin, if you haven't heard this, uh, it was in the news here in the last uh, hours, a few hours, and that is that uh, sort of the equivalent of the Supreme Court in Canada has found that uh, Prime Minister Trudeau's Emergency Act a couple of years ago was declared unconstitutional. This is when he went after these truckers and he was going after people and he was going after their, their bank accounts and so on. And it's all been declared unconstitutional. Now they're going to appeal it, I guess, uh, which is what you would expect. But I think that's a huge victory for the Canadian people. And I'm assuming that Trudeau will resign after this. I mean, this is about as big a blow as you can get as, as a Canadian prime minister. I don't recall such a thing ever before. But we're going to try to develop that story. I've got some contacts in Canada. We're going to try to bring somebody down to talk about this. But this is a huge story. I mean, this would be like the Supreme Court, you know, saying that this is unconstitutional or whatever. It's a huge story. And I have to tell you that I sympathize with the truckers and with many Canadians who came under attack by their government uh, a couple of years ago. So I'm glad. I'm glad to see this happen. I've never thought Trudeau was, frankly, a very serious man. And I think that, uh, obviously, a lot more Canadians uh, feel the same way. So we'll follow that story. As I say, it's just breaking here in the last few hours. And uh, we'll try to get somebody from Canada uh, to be on on the video sometime in the next week or so, just to get more context into what uh, happened. But let me begin with New Hampshire, where, uh, if you haven't heard, uh, former President Trump won that primary by about 11 points, 10 to 11 points. It'll probably settle in that area, 10 to 11 points. That's usually a pretty good victory in a two-way race. Uh, in this particular case, I think what makes it an even bigger victory is that a lot of the votes that uh, Nikki Haley got in this primary were crossovers. In other words, Democrats who voted as independents, they were really voting against President Trump. So they voted for Nikki Haley. And that, I think, drove up her number a little bit to 43, maybe 44 percent uh, total. So it, it is a huge victory when you consider that. But the question now is, what happens to Nikki Haley? That's what everybody's asking. And, you know, I'm sure she's not going to call me for my opinion, but I'll give it to her anyway. I think she ought to drop out. I think she ought to get out and say, look, uh, I'm not going to go anywhere, and I'm going to drop out. And she ought to drop out before South, South Carolina coming up, uh, I guess, in a few weeks, because there she could really suffer a humili humiliating defeat, especially one-on-one -on -one with, uh, with former President Trump. But let me just put it this way. If Nikki Haley wants any possibility of being the nominee or the vice president on the ticket uh, in 2024. She needs to get out. She needs to stop talking about Trump. And she needs to spend the next three months just talking about the failures of the Biden policies. Just deliver speeches and go here and go there talking about all the failures of the Biden policy. Now, why do I say if she wants to have a chance at number one or number two, because, you know, you never know. You never know. Something completely unforeseen could happen. And then all of a sudden the convention 
has to nominate a uh, a ticket, and she would be in a pretty good position either 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 to be number one or or number two. Or the other thing that could happen too, things could change, and three or four months down the road, the idea of a Trump Haley ticket could look a lot better. And if she wants that to happen, I know everybody denies that they want to be vice president, but the truth is nobody turns it down that I know of. And so if Trump were to go to Nikki Haley in June or July and say, would you like to be on my ticket? Her chances improve if she spends the next three months uh, basically just attacking Joe Biden and concentrating on all the failures of the Biden presidency. So that's what I would suggest to Nikki Haley, get out and spend the next three months talking about the failures of Joe Biden. And let's see what happens in three or four months. I think your chances uh, or her chances, Nikki Haley, of being vice president increase when she's not out there campaigning against uh, President Trump. So she needs to get out. That would be my advice. She needs to get out and just uh, let do the same thing that uh, Governor DeSantis did. Get out, endorse Donald Trump, and then just move on. Move on to your next step. And in the case of Nikki Haley, she's a good speaker. She ob- obviously has generated a following. Well, she should be go out there. She should be going out there talking about the failures of the Biden administration. That's what every Republican needs to be doing over the next three months as we, you know, prepare for for the upcoming election. Look, the Republicans need to win the presidency. They need to pick up the Senate and they need to keep the House. The Senate looks very good. The House is 50-50 right now, actually. I mean, they'll probably keep it, but it's going to be close. And the presidency, well, you never know. You never know because, honestly, I don't know who the Democrats are going to nominate. I'm convinced they're not going to nominate Joe Biden. I don't know how you could nominate a man in his condition like that. Now, they maybe they're stuck with him, maybe. But I, I still think that many Democrats want something better. And if you look at New Hampshire on the Democrat side, this fellow Phillips, with hardly any kind of a campaign, got 21% of the vote. And the other woman, uh, Williamson, I think her name, between the two of them, they got like 27% of the vote. I think that's a pretty shocking thing that the president of the United States can only get 61% of the vote. Now, I know he wasn't a candidate, and I know that it was a write-in, but still, come on. He is the incumbent president, and he has that much of a problem getting votes. So you got to think about that. Now, I have a post over at the American Thinker talking about Guantanamo. This is, of course, uh, the the political the prison that we have down in Guantanamo. This is a prison that was used by the Bush administration to bring some of the terrorists to uh, Guantanamo, and they were holding them there during the war on terror. Then during the 2008 campaign, uh, candidate Barack Obama promised that he was going to close it. One of the first things that he did upon becoming president was to issue an executive order saying, we're going to close it. Well, they never did. Fifteen years later, after that executive order, Guantanamo is still there. And as I write in my article, uh, the Obama administration ran into a couple of things trying to close Guantanamo. The first one is that there was no real political appetite in the country to close Guantanamo. Nobody really understood why. What was the big deal about closing Guantanamo? Uh, You know, also, nobody wanted to bring any of these prisoners to their district. I mean, we have lots of jails in the United States we could have brought these people to, but nobody wanted that because none of the members of Congress wanted to have one of these terrorists 
in a jail in their district for national security reasons, probably. So the public really didn't buy into closing Guantanamo. The other problem that the Obama administration, and I write about this in my article, the top diplomat who was entrusted with closing Guantanamo, the man that Obama appointed to lead the effort to close Guantanamo, he ran into a couple of things. Number one, countries were very good at talking about Guantanamo. They were not very good at taking the prisoners. So if you were negotiating, and he cites examples of this, you were negotiating with somebody and they would say, yes, you know, we agree with you, Guantanamo should close. And then when you would ask these people, okay, how many of these nationals would you take? Nobody wanted to take anybody. So these countries didn't want to take anybody. So it was a great talking point for many of these foreign leaders. But when it came time to taking their nationals back, no way, no way. They didn't want anything to do with it. They didn't want anybody from Guantanamo in their country. So eventually they did release some people. They did. They exchanged, uh, I guess, some prisoners. Uh, one time they, they exchanged, I think, five of them for some American who had been captured in Afghanistan. But it never really turned out to be what Obama promised. And that's because closing Guantanamo turned out to be a lot more complicated than they thought it was going to be. So check out my article. It's in over in the American Thinker. You can pick it up there at the American Thinker. You could also uh, check it on, on Twitter. Uh, the, the article is right before this uh, video that will be showing up on, on Twitter. But uh, check it out. It's called Guantanamo or Gitmo is still here. Well, we close today by going back in history to 1965. Uh, former Prime Minister Winston Churchill passed away on this day in 1965. Of course, Churchill, one of the great figures of the 20th century, one of the real giants of English history, and he passed away in 1965. He was born in 1874. By the way, speaking of, of Winston Churchill, there's a great movie called Young Winston that came out I think in the 1950s, I would really recommend this movie. It's just an absolutely great movie uh, that was made about the young life of Winston Churchill. It's just a great movie. I would recommend that you watch that uh, some weekend or something. It's just fabulous. You learn a great deal about his mother, who was an American lady, and of course his father, who was also very high in the in the British uh, in the British Parliament. But uh, you know, Prime Minister. Winston Churchill was elected. He ran the country during World War II. He was defeated in 1945, and then he was brought back. 1951, I think it was. And he served another term as prime minister. And there are some lessons for Donald Trump in the Winston Churchill story. Some lessons in the sense that uh, many uh, English people regretted having defeated uh, Winston Churchill, and then they brought him back because uh, they liked him after they had a taste of, of the opposition. And I think some of that, honestly, is happening with, with Donald Trump and why he looks more and more likely the person to be the next president of the United States. Well, thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas. Have a, great, uh, have a great week. Have a great day. And we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.